hear your names. Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I feel scared because I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're acting like a first year thief. I'm acting like a professional. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? Welcome to the Mad Dad Movie Review, a podcast full of first-time movie reviews starring Mads and her dad. Hi, Mads. And I'm the dad, and this this is Mad Dad Dad Movie Movie Review. Review. So, Madeline. Yes? I just want to start this off at the top of the hour, the top of the podcast in this case. Um, The other day, uh, we lost, unexpectedly, actor Chadwick Boseman at the young young age of 43 and to think just the career that he had I had him and just the the career he had in the short time he was you know with us like this is a guy who basically started it off as Floyd Little in the Express he went on to play Jackie Robinson, 42. He was James Brown on Get On Up. Um, and then after that, he just took on the role that would define his career um, as uh, the Black Panther. and Starring in Marvel. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's very unfortunate, very sad. And we just, uh, both the two of us, wanted to uh, send our sincerest condolences to his friends and family at this time so rest easy king Wakanda forever it was an accident Accident. I forgive you. You hear that? I forgive you. You know what I blood? Come on. Come on. How? Come on. I forgive you. God is love. 
love is God. Come on. You got me, man. You got me good. Ain't no thing. So how you been, dude? I'm good. Good. All right. So I'm going to remind everyone that they can find our out. Our, our, start that again. You can find our archives at iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Breaker, or wherever you find, wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Uh, you can reach us on Facebook at Mad Dad Movie Review, Instagram at Mad Dad Movie Review. And, and we are now on Twitter. And now Twitter, and not at Mad Dad Movie Review. It's Mad Dad Movie Pod. Exactly. Thanks, Twitter, and your character limit. <laughs> um, or you can simply email us, uh, maddadmoviereview at gmail.com. And a shout-out to all of our Australian, UK, Germany, Indonesia, Philippines, and Ireland Listeners, don't think I haven't noticed you. <laughs> so, this week we watched 1992's Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino's first full-length feature film, Madeline's first foray into Quentin Tarantino. Uh... Let's just, uh, well, before I do this, uh, or jump in the nitty gritty, let me ask you, uh, how is, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right. Nitty gritty. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right. So Reservoir Dogs premiered January 21st, 1992 at the Sundance Film Festival in Utah. Um, it was released nationwide October 23rd, 1992 by Merrimax Films. It opened up in 15th, also released that weekend. Uh, also, some of these were released. Some of them were actually in release. Uh, we got Under Siege, Last of the Mohicans, Candyman, The Mighty Ducks, and Dr. Giggles. Um, opening weekend gross of just shy under 148000 Uh It ended up, total gross, ended up making $2.8 million uh, with a budget of $1.2 to $3 million. This was directed by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Lawrence Bender, written for the screen by Quentin Tarantino, edited by Sally Menke, or Menke, uh, cinematography by Andre Sakula, starring Harvey Keitel as Mr. White, Tim Roth as Mr. Orange, Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde, Chris Penn as Nice Guy Eddie, Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink, Lawrence Tierney as Joe, Edward Bunker as Mr. Blue, and Quentin Tarantino himself as Mr. Brown. Madeline, hmm. first impressions. I liked it, but I didn't like the beginning where it just cut off to them, like it was them talking. And I just didn't like that. I don't know. 
It was funny. It was a funny scene, but. All right. Why don't you put a pin on that? We're actually I'm, we're gonna talk about the uh, that opening scene in the diner um, in a little bit more detail coming up. I actually had that in my uh, talking points, so we will cover that. Um, so just overall, more or less, uh, an eh or a, eh. yeah, this like guy has the, potential. Yeah, I feel like the, I wouldn't watch it again unless I wanted to like realize something or talk about it. Again. How about this? What if I said to you, hey, next thing, it's, it's not obviously, we already have our schedule ahead of us, uh, but what if I said, you know, our next film is Pulp Fiction? Like, what would you say to that? that? Would you be willing? That's, that's Tarantino's next film in his filmography. The next film he did two years later is Pulp Fiction. It depends what the movie's about. I think. To tell you what Pulp Fiction is about, oh, I don't even know where to begin. Um... But we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> no, we're not. No, 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 no. Okay, so it's it's uh, we're on the fence with you. That's your take on the film. Why do I love this film? Well, I love it because it was the start of a new era in film, the dubbed the Tarantino era. I love it because I still love Mr. Pink's bullshit excuse for not tipping. I love it because of K. Billy's super sound of the 70s weekend. I love it because you're not going to die. Say the goddamn words. I love it because of clowns to the left of me and jerkers to the right. I love this movie because of Steve Buscemi. I love it because of that goofy sound Harvey Keitel makes when he falls at, when he finds out about Agent or Dr. When he finds out about Mr. Orange. Shit. <laughs> I love it because of Larry, stop pointing that gun at my dad. I love it because I love looking back on the track for a little green bag. And that is why I love this film. What do the critics think? Let's go to the critics corner. And before I get into what all the critics had to say, it's worth noting that Reservoir Dogs is regarded as an important and influential milestone of independent filmmaking, hence the start of the Tarantino era. I mean, this film, it, 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 this, this was big. This was kind of big in a big way. Like, the numbers don't show that. The numbers don't back that statement up. Um, but we will get into that um, momentarily. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score is at 92% based on 71 reviews. It has a meta score of 79 out of 24 reviews. Letterbox score 4.1 out of 5. Empire Magazine names it the greatest independent film ever made. Vincent Canby from the New York Times enjoyed the cast and the usage of nonlinear storytelling. He similarly complimented Tarantino's directing and liked the fact that he did not often use close-up shots in this. Um, it's just, that's, did you notice that? There's not a single close-up shot in this movie. Not that um, that's something you're looking for. I mean, yeah. your first time, I guess you're not gonna. Um, Kenneth Turan of the LA Times also enjoyed the film. Um, he said the acting, uh, particularly that of Buscemi, Tierney, and Madsen, uh, he, he said Tarantino's palpable enthusiasm, his unapologetic passion for what he's created, reinvigorates this venerable plot, and mayhem aside, makes it involving for longer than you might suspect. 
uh, James Bernard and I'm, I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, so it's James B. Okay, James B. Um, I don't even know where to. You know what? Forget what he said because I don't even have it written down where he's from. So, Roger Ebert. Let's see what Raj had to say. He felt the script could have been better, um, and he said the film it feels like it's gonna be terrific, but Tarantino's script doesn't have much curiosity about the characters. He said Quentin Tarantino has an idea and trust the idea to drive the plot. He gave it two and a half stars and said the acting was the best part of the film. And that wraps up this episode's Critics Corner. All right. Do you have any questions for me about this movie? No, I don't think I did. Not a question. That I wrote down, at least. All right, Maybe fair. Maybe in my head, but it got answered. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, then, let's just, um, basically for this episode, what I did is I have a bunch of talking points. Basically, they are the major things to talk about when talking about this film. Um, so let's just start from the top, um, and that's the opening diner scene. Um, it's worth noting that the scene was actually added, uh, it was only added to give Mr. Blue some lines because he didn't have any. If it weren't for that scene, Mr. Blue would just be basically uh, just a, I a name. Know why like, was there a Mr. Blue if he wasn't really in it? I mean, it's a five-man team. Mm-hmm. So, and they go into detail, you know, later on. Yeah. We'll get into that, too. Um, also, this was originally scripted uh, for Mr. White being the non-tipper. This was back when Quentin Tarantino himself was originally going to be Mr. Pink. And, yeah, so when that changed, it went to uh, Pink himself, Quentin. Oh, I'm sorry, not Quentin, uh, Buscemi. (laughs) I've always looked at this scene as a preview for the rest of the film with its attitude and original dialogue That's it's filled with, like, like the pop culture and references and the realism of it, um, it, it it's just something. It's uh, so the, the the movie starts with all the guys plus nice guy Eddie and Joe. Basically, they're all having dinner before, not dinner. They're having breakfast before the heist. Literally, <laughs> kicking off the movie talking about Madonna's like a virgin, amongst other things. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, going off of what you said earlier, um, it's, it's not something you'd expect, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe not. This is this, um, I don't want to word this. <sighs> Cause I know like, you know, Tarantino is going to be messing with time as he does with Basically, all it's like all of a sudden they were happy, and then it went from serious. It's like, yeah, it goes like what? (laughs) It confuses you at first. You just have to understand, though. Yeah, because you you're going to do a movie basically about if you didn't know any better what this film is about. The first thing you're You're seeing and hearing is like, just talk, 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 and it's like what and. Nineteen ninety two, the 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 general public, the GP in ninety two, 
they weren't used to films like this because these films were, they weren't really a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. movies had a tendency to kick off with, with a bang, more or less. Yeah. Um, but they tell you the story, like what happened throughout the movie. Because that's what the movie's about. It's really like finding out how did this all happen. Like, how is this, how is um, Mr. Orange bleeding all of a sudden? Um, why is everyone freaking out? And then they tell you as it goes on. Right. The, I, I, I wrote this down because I, I never knew about, I never knew this. I found this, this note pretty interesting. Um, this scene also displays each character's personality. Meaning, so go with this, okay? Joe, he's shown as, you know, the old guy. He's old and he struggles to remember a single name, which is Toby. Um, this displays his inability to figure out the rat in the group later on in the movie. Uh, Eddie, he talks about the night the lights went out in Georgia and how he never realized the singer is the killer. This tells us he ain't that bright. Mm-hmm. He's not smart. Because, um, that, yeah, because that's like Scott Eddie. He's, he's, he's loud, yeah. and he's, like, got this big bark, but, like, in, in the end, I mean, I, I don't know. I've never really... He is kind of like the, the the dummy of the group. <laughs> Him in his uh his blue tracksuit, um, Mister White, he takes Joe's book and threatens to keep it. It's it's done in humor, but Joe is still the boss, which tells us they must be close. Um, Mister Orange, he rides pink out to Joe about not tipping. Mm-hmm. That's simple foreshadowing right there. Uh, Mr. Blonde, he offers to shoot Mr. White, and then pretends to with his fingers. That signals that that, that means he's trigger happy. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Pink doesn't believe in tipping. He's got a very stern. He's he's got very stern rules. He runs his life by. He claims he's a professional. He does this when others aren't living up to what he thinks the rules are for thieves. And he is a professional at his job. <laughs> I mean, exactly. he got out. I mean, no, everyone died but him, so. I mean, he, he literally died. says, you know, you're acting like a first-time thief. I'm acting like a professional. Because he understands that someone ratted them out, and the other persons are like, no, nothing happened. Like, what are you talking about? They came after an alarm, and he's like, no, I saw with my own eyes. They did not. They were there hiding this whole time. Yep, so. Ex- Exactly. So, so that's, that's... Nobody's looking, but he looks around to make sure nothing's going to happen. Nothing bad happens. Exactly. He's being a smart criminal. And he is. He definitely is. Um, so the music, that's my next talking point. So anything else you want to talk about with the dining, the diner scene? Mm -hmm. Nothing else you want to bring up? I know it's not your favorite scene. (laughs) So, all right, all right. You know, and it's 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 worth noting. It's just something to make the movie longer. And no, no. I mean, I it, there's a reason for it. I Otherwise, think, it wouldn't be yeah. in there. I mean, Quentin's not going to bullshit you with his movies. I mean, he uses every scene. There's a purpose for every particular scene. Mm-hmm. Hell, every word of dialogue, there's a purpose for in his movies. Um, so and then let's get to the next thing, um, and that's the music of this movie. Now, music 
it's always been a main character in all of Tarantino's films. That's how I've always viewed it as. Um, I mean, this is the same man who used David Bowie's cat people in a spaghetti western, and it worked. So, yeah. Songs in this film, we got Coconut by Harry Nielsen. We got Little Green Bag by the George Baker Selection. We got the cover of Magic Carpet Ride by Bedlam. We got um, Blue Swedes, Hooked on a Feeling. We got Joe Texas, I Gotcha. And we've got Steelers Wheels, um, Stuck in the Middle with You. There's no score in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's all the K-Billy sounds of the 70s weekend. Hosted by comedian Stephen Wright. Um, who a lot of people listening, I don't expect to know. Um, Half-baked, guys. He was the guy on the couch. Uh, The music. So jump in at any point of this, and do you have anything to say about, you know, the the music? I like the music. I didn't know any of the songs, but. I thought you said you knew one song. That sounded familiar I, I to just, you. I just looked it up. I think it said they, it was the same. They sounded the same, I think. Because it was from uh, it was Finding some, Nemo. Oh, that's right. You mentioned Finding Nemo. That's yeah, right. Um, I'm pretty sure that they, Finding Nemo might have been inspired by the one song. But no. they've definitely, no. I've looked back at it and it's different lyrics, but same beat and paste. Well, I guess I should apologize to the listeners. Um for the inclusion of Finding Nemo in a Reservoir Dogs podcast. (laughs) Things you don't hear every day. All right, well then, hell, if you got nothing else to say about the music, I mean, there's nothing else I can really say that'll uh, educate you about it. I mean, it's it's a pretty cut and dry thing. It's simple. Well, that's how you look at it. I mean, it's I was around for that. I'm not... Like a lot it's not 90s more. music. It's not 90s music. It's 70s music. And because the majority of his. No, that's the thing well, about. I wasn't born in the 70s, though. So. Well, neither was I, but that's beside the point. I'm just saying. Um, this is this is the thing. Like, the Tarantino's music and all of his movies are like this. I mean, future films, he's going to have a composer, he's going to have an actual score. But. Shout out to the Hateful Eight, my favorite score of 2015. Um, it's just Enya's score is, is um, it's 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 something that I still listen to from time to time. So it's good stuff. So that's off topic a little bit. Um, their plan. Terrible. <laughs> so let's go through their plan. All right. So. Mr. Orange stands outside the door and doesn't let anyone in or out. Mr. Brown waits in the car, parked across the street, waiting for a signal. Mr. Blonde and Mr. Blue are on crowd control. And Mr. White and Mr. Pink, I'm sorry, we have six characters, not five. I don't know why I kept saying five earlier, it's six. And I should have known that. Well, I did know that. Uh... Where was I? Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, and Crocker. Oh, yeah, and uh, Mr. White and Mr. Pink take the manager to the back and get the diamonds. They're there for the diamonds only. The diamonds, the diamonds only, nothing else. Two-minute job, not one second longer. We never find out how much the heist is worth, how much the diamonds are worth. It's 
it's it's not irrelevant. It's not important to the plot. You know, I wouldn't even go as far as to say that the diamonds are MacGuffin because they're really not. And they don't tell you the price. So like, it's 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 it doesn't matter. It's it's it it. it, This movie's not about that. It's not that exactly. So the plan goes to hell in a handbasket. Because evidently Mr. Blonde gets trigger happy. Mr. Brown died. I said Mr. Blonde gets trigger happy. Oh, oh yeah. Mr. Brown died. We see Brown die. We do? Later on in the film. Yeah, because remember, he's got the the blood on his forehead. And then he crashes and then he just dies behind the wheel. You barely see him. He's like in a scene. Because he keeps on saying he can't see. Mm -hmm. And White's like, because you got blood in your eyes. Because the blood's going down his head, and then he ends up dying from the wound. Um, but but so Blonde just starts going crazy. I think they said he shoots like three or four people. Um, and then, then in his defense, he says that, that they were going for the law of the alarm. Don't do that. You don't get killed. Mm-hmm. Yada yada. That you got pink, white. Kind of on the same side with the story, because White, you know, is telling Eddie what Eddie would happen, and then, you know, he's like, you know, that's what happened. You come raise that, ain't that right, Mister Pink? And you know, he's like, well, that's it started like that, but now you guys are talking, it's starting to make more sense, rational, yeah. yada yada. But and, and anyway, like it, so that, and then somehow. Pink ends up going with the diamonds and stash because again you don't see these things happen. I mean, you see but like the was, aftermath, which I think is pretty clever. They talked about it. The heist is what's important. Pink were both supposed to get the diamonds. So yeah. One of them were, and Pink got it. Because so. you know, again, you know, Reservoir Dogs is not a movie about a bank heist. This or, or a heist in any at all. Like, it's not a bank. It's a, it's a diamond store. It it, it it's not about that. Even though. It's telling the viewer, hey, check out this new, you know, heist movie from this new up-and-coming filmmaker. And you go to watch it, and first thing you see is this dining scene. They're talking about Madonna's like a virgin. And then next thing you know, you get the credits to Little Green Bag, which is cool as shit. And you don't get me wrong. And then next thing you know, Orange is in the backseat bleeding like stuffed pig, dying, crying his guts out. And... It's like, what happened? The first scene, you would expect them to be, like, business people because they were all in suits and well, just talking, drinking coffee. It's like, you know, a they're, they're not going to the office. They're, yeah. not, they're not going to their 9-to-5 desk job, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're going somewhere to get money, but it ain't work. Like, the people let them out. They're, like, robbers, and people let them go in public, and they're still, like, no one calls the police, nothing. It's like... It's, well, the police are called. What do you mean? Well, the police are no, called because they'll just go out in public and po- people don't call the police. Because they were even at a dining. You're place. losing me, kid. How do you mean? Because they're at the diner, and next thing you know, they. They're just a couple of guys in suits walking down the street that are car. Why would that criminals. be suspicious? They, it's not like they have a big sign on the back saying, "Hey, we're the criminals. We're the bad guys." <laughs> You know, it's not like one of their license plates says, or whatever, a big note saying, off the robber joint. <laughs> hey, the bad guys are over here. <laughs> so yeah, Pink ends up stashing the diamonds and going back to the rendezvous with uh, Joe. I mean, not Joe. We're uh, told where the white and orange. Are. Yeah, exactly. 
and yeah cut to the end which we're going to get to more in detail um let's just jump to the next one so you know you know the movie you know the story you know how it goes out the heist whatever it's like amateur hour tarantino's sense of time okay and this is kind of like this ties in with the movie but forgive me in advance ahead of time if i go off and just start talking about like his other films like you know them like you know like that even though you've never seen them i'm sorry so quentin tarantino all right so he he's always he structures his scripts in a unique way that shapes the story into something new and fresh you know you're watching a Tarantino film when it suddenly begins with the dialogue heavy scene set in the middle of the plot. As it was said in the film, you got to know all the details. That's how you follow the story of one of Quentin's movies. The details sell the story. You know? This... It, it's, it's kind of engaging... It's definitely unique. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, it's it's kind of like, it's his way of saying, I'm this new guy. We've been seeing these movies with the beginning, middle, and end. This following the same structure for decades and decades, eons and eons. And I'm just going to come in here, kick down the door, change the format, and see what happens. Well, let me tell you something. It paid off because, speaking personally, because I was alive in the 90s and can remember these things, like, I was old enough to remember, even, like, in the earlier 90s, I remember certain things pretty well. This, because I was eight when this came out, this um, movie, what, what followed this were... Years, and I'm telling you, years. The '90s were just the the early to mid, somewhat late to late '90s were just flooded with like these Tarantino knockoffs, like movies that some of them tried to you know get all the young hip stars with you know and and the writers amped up their dialogue to sound to to to, to put in more. The references and to add a little bit more sizzle to the to the dialogue spoken itself, you know, and then you got the movies that are just messing with time and it just like it, this movie does. There's no sense of structure, but they're only doing it just fought, playing father leader, whereas Tarant- Tar- yeah, Tarant- Tarantino does it. Because it's just, it's always been his style and his way of telling a story, you know. He he wants you to be engaged with the movie. He doesn't want you to just sit there and just follow the same boring middle, you know, the, the, the same boring formula. He wants something different. Time's he, everywhere in this movie, basically. And it's not just this. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not just this movie. I mean, Pulp Fiction, his next film, that... Because that was the movie that really put him on the map. This movie did, but Pulp Fiction just transcended, just shot him out up into the, the sky with just 
I mean, they got nominations at, at the Academy Awards that that year. Um, it, it was on a lot of top ten lists at the uh, for critics. It was just if this movie was an introduction, the pop then pop fiction was a celebration. That's just that's how it is. Um, next up one here I have the violence and realism mm-hmm. um, with the torture scene alone you get a sense of pain as you're watching it play out I mean even the camera pans away as Marvin's ear is being removed you're supposed to be feeling the torture with him instead of just watching you know torture scenes themselves are played out a dime a dozen this is a particular scene where he wants you to engage with it and feel it, you know, because I do. This scene and certainly the scene earlier with Joe, or not Joe, I keep saying Joe, with Orange in the back seat, die, bleeding out and, and crying out in pain. Like, I literally, to this day, since the first time I saw this movie ever, that I can literally in a sense feel the pain like I, I like like I can feel the bullet wound in my belly like I'm with Joe not damn it I keep saying Joe like I'm there with orange and it, I can feel it as he's because he's because he makes it he's just so emotional and he Tim Roth just sells it so damn good it's so convincing and that I feel the pain with him and it's it ugh. You know, it's it's great. It's good stuff, you know. Um, speaking of, like, Orange, he's so hurt that he has to be held and cries out uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. He ends up passing out from the pain. Again, you're feeling his pain through his performance. He's a good actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and he's still, to this day... And he still pops up in Tarantino movies, you know. He's got a minor role in uh, The Hateful Eight. He actually does have a role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it got cut. I do believe there's Why? extent there's a because a lot of it, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff got cut because he filmed a lot of stuff in that movie. Yeah. I think the Blu-ray has like an hour of deleted scenes. I don't know why they just don't have a special edition. I think down the road that's the game plan because Hateful Eight had an extended edition on Netflix and I think the game plan is down the road somewhat do the same thing with Isn't Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Isn't make 10 um, movies and then done? Yes. Uh, in fact, that the... This is the... It's his uh, ninth Once movie. Upon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the poster itself has the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. Apparently, he's got one left. We'll see how this plays out. I remember when you first saw it because I was with you. I didn't like see it with you, but me and Hale, you were with Joey. Yeah, you yeah, you and, and your friend and went and saw all of what was it? Scary um, scary stories, stories to tell in the dark. the dark. Me and her saw that alone. Yes. And you guys were in down the hall watching. And watch watching uh, this. <laughs> and then ever since you've watched, who knew? How many times did you even go to the theater to see it? I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood five times in the theater last summer. I could never. <laughs> Sick break! <laughs> no, but in my defense, I did have a, an AMC uh, reward or stubs card. And you just AMC used it all on Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's 
that and Midsommar. And there's a couple of other movies that are big that I saw. Hey, man, they were great films. And I didn't mind seeing them again. I, I, I had... There were weeks where I didn't even use my three films. So why the hell not? Nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the body count for this movie is 11. Again, getting back on track, we're talking about the violence of the film. Yeah. The, uh, I got a body count of 11. Um, would be one would argue twelve, but that's Mister Blue, and you only hear about his death. You don't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin's films are explicitly violent and always pushing the envelope for the mainstream audience. That's something that I came up with. I didn't take that from anything. That's just how I feel. Um, just he's always pushing it, and he'll get you to. It's like a mainstream. Uh, how not like not a gore fest. That's that's a boring boring term. Um, I don't know. Just blood and guts. Like he just pushes it as as much as he can. It's it's like a gritty like grindhouse esque mm-hmm. um movie, but for the mainstream audience. Um, it. I mean, even once upon a time in Hollywood, you look at that poster. Go ahead, look at that poster of of that. Mm-hmm. Does that does anything on that poster tell you this is going to be a violent movie? There's a lot of guns and cars and. Is there any is there is there anything on that poster that tells you this is going to be one of the goriest films you'll ever see, in the last twenty minutes alone? No. 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 Exactly. One of these days you'll get to that movie and. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember I asked the scene, you said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to see mainly because Maya Hawk was in a scene, you said. That's yeah, Maya Hawk's in. No, she plays. She's in a couple scenes. She's got a. No, she's in one scene, two scenes. You said she was in I think she's in two scenes, Maya Hawk, and then she's she plays a kind of a big role at the end of the movie. And the third act, the final act. That's really the only reason I want to see it because I'm a fan of Maya Hawk. But ah, me too. But yeah, it's it. If you're going just for her, you're gonna be disappointed because she's only in it for like ten minutes total. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the final thing to talk about. No, I'm sorry. Um, the penultimate thing to talk about the ending. Who the hell shot got? Who the hell shot nice guy Eddie? <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> I don't pay attention to real actors. No, it's it's okay. So this ending, it ends with. You're listening to this. You know the ending. You know the Mexican standoff. You got arms on the ground. You've got Joe accusing him of being a rat, which. He's right, but he's still on the ground dying and denying it. So you've got Joe pointing the gun at at Orange. You've got Orange using his gun to pretty much hold himself up because he's just so weak at that point. You've got White pointing his gun at Joe. You've got Eddie pointing his gun at White saying, don't you put that, point that gun on my dad. And then you've got Pink just hiding because he knows some serious crap is about to go down and he just wants no part of it because he's smart and he he doesn't have a personal grudge like the rest of these guys do so it ends with 
how it looks. Joe shoots orange. Uh, white shoots Joe, and Eddie shoots white. Yeah. But white gets hit, and white. I'm uh, not white, but uh, Eddie gets hit, and Eddie goes down too. But who the hell shot him? Who shot nice guy Eddie? This is probably going to be a question that will be asked for the uh, the rest of time. And this kind of goes into the, uh, the, 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 the Kubrick episode when I mentioned a million times that Kubrick likes to mess with his audience intentionally. I think that this is Tarantino pulling a Kubrick. And you think it's or, Pink, Mr. Pink? And I can see how it could be Mr. Pink because he was hiding behind the step. Or whatever it was. But you don't see him shoot. Yeah, but he, he no could have out of nowhere. You... No, because they show what I've seen. I watched for him, and then he's back. He's cowered in the background. He's not aiming his gun at no one. He just wants to wait for them to do their thing so he can get out of there because cause he knows where the diamonds are. Mm-hmm. Or does he have them by then? What? Never mind. Um... No. So what really happened though is so the story is um, Chris Penn had a squib inside of him. Uh, a squib for those who are not listening who don't know what that is. A squib is old school practical effects. You just put like inside of your shirt, <clears throat> like basically like something that goes off, like a little mini explosive or something that just supposed to just pop, go off, and a bag explodes and it's full of fake blood. So it looks like you got shot. It looks, it looks like a gunshot wound. So Chris Penn had squibs in, and for reasons I don't understand because the, the scene doesn't call for him Why to get does shot. He have him on him? But <laughs> he ends up, it ends up uh, malfunctioning. The squib goes off. Chris Penn, being the actor that he is, goes with it, pretends he gets hit because and falls to the ground. Tarantino says cut. People are looking around, I guess. I can only imagine people are looking around like, huh? Huh? Like, what the hell like, happened? How did he die? <laughs> <laughs> but Tarantino just kept it in. That's the story. That's the folklore. I mean, because if he <clears> stayed <throat> up there, it would be like, wait, how is he bleeding all of a sudden? Like, so it would make sense if he just fell. Exactly. Um, I, I got one more question, and then we'll get to the last part of the talking point. Um, what do you think happened to Mr. Pink? Like, what do you think happens to Mr. Pink? After he ran and got Movie away? Movie ends. If you can so. see Mr. Pink continue to carry on, where where is he going next after he leaves the warehouse? I feel like... Do you think the, the cops get him? What? No, because the... Because the cops are coming. You can tell he's a smart person. I feel like he probably, like... I guess you could say left. Like, left wherever they were. And maybe he made his own um, little group. I'd like to think that Mr. Pink made it, went, mm-hmm. cashed in that, uh, I mean, he was gone. collected a pretty hefty there. payday, went down to... To get the diamonds. Went, went down he to... to uh, the yeah, the Bahamas. <laughs> he paid to go somewhere because he must have gotten or, a lot or, of money. Or maybe like he, he bought an island. I don't know. And uh, He's rich. lived happily ever after. Yeah. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Maybe he made his own group. He got away. He's not where they used to be. Yeah. Cash Mr. Is- Pink's the next... He's the new Joe. <laughs> now Mr. Pink is to pick the colors. 
He gets to do the pinking. The picking. <laughs> the pinking. I dubbed this incident the pinking. <laughs> All right. So the last thing I want to talk about with this, regarding this movie is the dialogue. All right. This... I've been watching a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of really good writers and no disrespect to any of them and I'm not going to cancel them out. Um, There's like a class of people from this time. Kevin Smith comes to mind. Definitely Tarantino. They just had smart, witty uh, dialogue that was just Fun to listen to, I guess, in 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 a, in a sense. They all had their own story in the movie. It's like, yeah, and they, everything was happening, and like you find the, it's like the past. They show the past of what's going on. They all have their own story of what happened when they were robbing the bank. Yeah, yeah. Because they all went different directions. They were all on different. Well, that's what happens. You're not going to, after you pull off a heist, you're not going to all run together. You want to split up, you know? I mean, it makes sense to split up unless you're stupid like that and just... (laughs) But um, he uses the dialogue to take you through his films without ever belittling you, like, or making you, like, sound, feel stupid. Um, Because there's a lot of movies, like, one of my pet peeves in movies is, like, when you have a narrator talking for the I think I mentioned this in another episode. I, I just, I hate it with movies when, like, the, the, the character, all of a sudden, there's a narration that pops up that is, like, just telling you, explaining to you what's happening instead of you, instead of just letting you watch the movie and think for yourself or, or see things for yourself. Like, you don't always have to spell it out for us, you know? And that's not what he's doing here. Um, he's using it in his own, just sensible way like I, it hey I love it <laughs> so always it's always using big words making casual pop culture references um, clever lines like you're acting like a first time thief I'm acting like a professional um, it, it, chime in anytime kiddo <laughs> I know you. I know you have something to say about this, his dialogue, and, and cause we talked about this off cam or off uh, off, off the camera. air. <laughs> off camera. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, even Freddie's assigned a four-page dialogue about a commode. <laughs> he had the longest story, like longest past. I feel like. Cause... Would you be able to ever memorize a four-page monologue? About a commode. It's literally a four-page joke. <laughs> it's like a five-minute joke, if, or a four-minute joke. If you're going by the old Hollywood screenplay or, or one script equals, or one page is one minute in a movie. In this case, a commode story. <laughs> four minutes. <laughs> it's, it's one detailed commode story. And... Knowing, yeah, I, I I can see that. Would you ever? If, I, I mean, that's his job. I mean, unless you're a theater kid, maybe. But 
I don't see Freddie taking theater class. Exactly. So. I mean, I think he even makes a I point mean, that he didn't, he didn't take theater. Or maybe he did. He maybe, died, he did. maybe I made that part up. He, he wouldn't be able to because he died now, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> he can't do anything now. Mr. Orange. But... Gone but never forgotten. <laughs> 28 years later, we're still talking about him on this podcast. Um. Okay. So let's let's do the. Who's your MVP of the film? Mr. Pink and Freddy, both. Or if I had to pick one. You them. gotta choose one. I choose Freddy then. I feel like Mr. Pink stuck out to me the most just from his humor, but like, if you want to think, if I'm being all serious and right, not thinking about this. just the jokes, I'd say Freddy because. The movie, I wouldn't say it's about him, but, like, he has the longest, like, story to tell. And Yeah, if this film had the center on one... He's I the mean, undercover cop. One could make the argument about Mr. White or, or Mr. Blonde. I can but see no. that, but, like... Definitely, if we're going to center on one, if we had to, bet your ass on one for Mr. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean... He's the undercover cop. Everyone else is in the heist. He's different than all the other people. Oh, and for the record, he's my pick, too. He's my MVP. My unbiased MVP pick of the film, Mr. Tim Roth. Mr. Orange himself. Freddy. Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk about this movie, I never talk about their first names, like Larry I or say Freddy. Freddy. Like, no. I mean, they say, they say <laughs> the name, so it's like, what? why uh, not? What's your Be Kind, Rewind, Rewatchable moment? I feel like the thing that um, stuck out to me the most would be Mr. Pink and Mr. White fighting, so probably that. I'd rewatch a lot. I don't see any other scene I really okay. rewatch. I don't know. I mean, I, I picked the opening diner scene. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. It's pretty legendary. Um, always loved it. Do you have a double header pairing? No. I didn't think so. And that's my fault. No, it's actually not. <laughs> I don't watch I I've watched movies a lot, but I don't watch like movies like this a lot. Yeah. Maybe double header pairing should be like a me thing for mm-hmm. from now on. At least for movies like this almost. Yeah. Yeah. We'll 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 I'll make a note of that. Um so mine my Double header pairing is true romance. And let me, that being said, a little sidebar, gonna tell you about how this film came to be. It's for, to my surprise, I didn't talk about that earlier. I thought I wrote that down. So again, Tarantino, first movie. He wrote initially two movies Reservoir Dogs and True Romance. Now, he presented this, or these two, to filmmaker Tony Scott, who at the time already had a a, a nice filmography under his belt in The Hunger, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Mm -hmm. Top Gun, just to name a few. Uh, Legend, yeah. Anywho, he said, no, that's his brother, Ridley. (laughs) Was legend. He said to um, Tony, you know, here are my scripts. Would you like to do one? Of course, Tony Scott wrote them both. 
wanted to do Reservoir Dogs. So Tarantino's response was, okay, well, with all due respect, I kind of want to do that one myself for my first, my debut movie. I kind of wanted to take the reins of that one. So why don't you do True Romance? And everyone wins. <laughs> and that's basically how it went down. So the he sold the script for True Romance to either Morgan Creek or Warner Brothers, who had Tony Scott direct um, from a screenplay from the screenplay written by Tarantino. That money that he made off of that deal went on to finance this film. Now I'm thinking about this, it's gonna make no sense, but I feel like. After watching Reservoir Dogs, I'd watch Titanic. Where the hell did you come I up with that? I just looked at the poster and I'm like, I'll watch both of those together. Why not? <laughs> so you're doubleheader pairing. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs and Titanic. I'll watch both of those together. I don't mind. You have fun with that. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. <laughs> Alright, 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 alright. Back on track. <laughs> okay. Star power. What do you how many stars do you give in this out of five? A three, maybe three point five. Three, maybe three point five. Because it's a movie I'd rewatch again if I like wanted to show it to somebody or somebody wanted to watch it with me, I'd watch it. Like I wouldn't mind. It's nothing you put on casually, like, when you're like, by oh, yourself. I'm like, watch this by myself, like, or I wouldn't make a suggestion. There's never going to be a Friday night where you're looking for something to watch, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, or if, like, I'm with friends and we don't know what movie to watch, I'm not just going to say, hey, why not Reservoir Dogs? Like, you guys know what that is. Like, <laughs> Alright. Yeah. I respect that. I'll rewatch it if someone, like, says, hey, want to. And, like, sure, but I wouldn't make the idea. Right. It wouldn't be the first thing that comes to mind, for sure. All uh, right. Oh, this has got four stars for me. Four stars. Four stars, four stars. Four out of five. I mean, I like it. It feels like a short movie. It's like two hours long, but it's... after watching it, you're like, that went on quick. Are you sure it's not? Yeah. yeah. It's like an hour and a half. Like, are you sure? There's also a 13-minute version, isn't there? No, that was the making of. Oh. <laughs> There's not a condensed 13 minute version of Reservoir Dogs. Does not that exist. Would be, that would be really weird. And somehow. <laughs> that, would be the, that would be the TV version <laughs> of this film. So, um, next week's film, we're going to be taking it back 35 years ago. We're going to be hanging out with the Breakfast Club. How do you feel about that? Wanted to watch it. I brought it up. I was gonna before. say this is a movie you've actually requested personally, like I've, not recently, recently, but I know in the last was, like handful we were, of months you I have said was, I want to watch The Breakfast Club. I think we were at what FYE or FYI. Wait, is it FYE? FYE. FYE. FYI is <laughs> something else. FYE. I'm pretty sure um, I saw you looking at it, or I saw it, and I was like, why not watch it? It wasn't a movie where we'd be like, oh, we should watch it right now. But it was a movie like, when we get to, when we, um, when it's time, we can watch it. Well, next week it will be time because next week we will 
be checking out or the Breakfast Club right for your day. first time. For your first time. And with that being said, I want to remind everyone that they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, and wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. We're on Facebook.com at Mad Dad Movie Review. Instagram at Mad Dad Movie Review and Twitter at Mad Dad Movie Pod. You can also email us at MadDadMovieReview at gmail.com where you can send in any requests, any reviews, you know, whatever you want to do with the email, it's there. Even if we, I've seen it before, we can still always rewatch it. Yeah. We have the time and, yeah. And. If you're listening on Apple or iTunes, please, or anywhere that you're able to, if you can, leave us a five-star rating. We would you greatly... You email us a rating. We... <laughs> just just, just, just send the fives, all right? Just keep the fives coming, guys. <laughs> fives for us, guys. We'd appreciate it a lot. <laughs> and with that being said... And I'm Dad, and this has been Mad Dad Movie Review. See you guys next week.